I always tell people this. You want to be seen, you want to be known, and you want to be understood. Learn modern marketing that you can use to grow your business in today's competitive landscape. This is Digital Marketing Masters with Matt and Carrie Rouse. Welcome to Digital Marketing Masters. I am Matt Rouse, and today my guest is Fred Douglas. Fred, how are you doing? I'm doing great, Matt. Fantastic. And I wanted to actually let you give us a little quick bio on yourself today. So why don't you tell us a little more about what you do and who you are? Okay, I am the sole proprietor of Transformational Connections. And basically what I do is I work with sales professionals, entrepreneurs, and business owners, and I help them raise their value to their clients so that they have more free time to do the things they want to do while they make more money. And the way that happens is I take them through a seven-step process that enables them to connect better with their clients and end up at some point never having to do cold calls again. Because we live in this world today where a lot of people don't connect with their clients. And so clients are forever shifting to the bigger, better deal. And we know this, while business is 99% transactional, deals are basically closed because of relationships. And so what I do is help people build better relationships. And you know, that kind of reminds me of a story I heard from a guy, I can't remember his name right now. And it was, he went with his son into the bank and this is quite a while ago. And they had like a table of products and prizes on the table. And he's like, dad, can I get one of those? And he's like, oh no, that's for the new customers. And he goes, well, how come you don't get one? <laughs> That's kind of the story, right? Is that businesses kind of generally, the only time that they're trying to build a relationship with their clients is when they aren't their clients yet. And once they are their clients, they kind of forget about them. So tell me this, what made you want to become a business relationship coach in the first place? Well, I spent 40 years in the nonprofit world, working with families and with teenagers. And one of the things that I had to do was learn how to build relationships, particularly for the area of fundraising. This nonprofit for a reason. <laughs> People sometimes said, well, what does that got to do with business? When you have to convince people to depart with their hard-earned money for a cause, it takes a little bit more work than it is to sell a product that they are going to walk home with. And so over time, what happened was I began to help people along the way in business, and in other nonprofits, learn how to connect. And so I thought, you know what? When I get done with the nonprofit world, I think I want to do something along the lines of coaching and helping people because I'm not a consultant. I can do that, but I'm a coach. I work with people, helping them achieve their goals. And coming from the fundraising world, we work with some nonprofits also, and it's, it's a whole different animal in itself, right? Oh, yeah. And the relationships are the most important thing, right? Right. Absolutely. So let me ask you this. In the fundraising world and in the business world, there's a lot of cold calling. There's a lot of like getting out there and kind of drum up business. I know a lot of people nowadays try to fall back on, on the social media and stuff like that because they don't want to cold call. But how do you get people in sales not only to be better at cold calling, but get to the point where they don't have to do cold calling anymore? Well, let me tell you a little story, if I may. Sure. Years ago, we were trying to take 100 kids from the inner city to a camp 
and the camp basically cost about $500 per kid. So we did all kinds of car washes and fundraisers where the kids participated, but we knew that they were not going to make the goal of $500 for each of them. So I knew I had to raise $10,000, and I selected several businesses, and one of the businesses that I stopped at was a large uh, glass business. They made glass for skyscrapers and put the windows in. And it took me a while to get the secretary to get me an appointment with the CEO. And basically she said, you have 15 minutes with him and you better not go over it. <laughs> and so I get there and she says, he will see you now. I go in, the gentleman's on the phone. So I'm looking around his office while he's finishing up his phone call. And he had a credenza because this was a while back. On the credenza was a whole slug of pictures of kids in sporting events and team photos, et cetera, et cetera. So I simply waited for him to get off the phone. And I literally said to him, wow, you must be one heck of a coach. And he said, what? I said, well, I'm looking at all these sports pictures. And he laughed and said, oh, no, those are my grandkids. I asked one more question, and he proceeded to tell me about every picture, every kid. And then when he was done, he looked at me and he goes, I've taken up your 15 minutes, haven't I? <laughs> I said, yeah. He goes, you know what? I don't have anything scheduled. Let's go to lunch. We went to lunch for two hours laughing and talking about family, about relationships and, and all kinds of things. Come back to his office. He looks at me and says, you know, we still haven't talked about what you came here for. Come on in my office and we'll finish up. Is there anything you need before we go in? I said, yeah, I can have a glass of water. The secretary brought me in a glass of water. And I just told him the story that I told you about what we were doing with the kids. And I just looked square at him and said, I'm not going to beat around the bush. I'm asking you, would your company give us $10,000 to help these kids go to camp? And he looked at me and I picked up the glass of water and I started to drink it. He looked at me some more. I drank a little bit more. He looked at me. Finally, he slammed his hand down on the desk and said, you are good. I want you to come back and teach this to my sales professionals. I said, teach what? He goes, you know what happened. The next person that talks loses. And I spoke up. You can have your $10,000 <laughs> if you come back and teach my people this. But what happened was, is what I try and teach people is, I established a relationship with him right off the bat through the pictures on his desk. It's not hard. So I give some tips to people. One is your approach. If you approach somebody with a sales or something you're trying to get them to dive into because you need it, or as my son used to do when he was selling copy machines, if I can sell this one more machine, I'll meet my quota for the day. They're not going to be successful. You need to go in thinking about what is it they need? Who are they? What do they do? The second tip I tell people is they have experiences. And sometimes when you go in their office, they've got preconceived notions about you. You've got to dispel those things. I had a guy tell me once, yeah, the last nonprofit came in here, tried to twist my arm and get money out of me. I said, I didn't come here to do that. I just came to introduce myself because I didn't ask for money that first time. And the guy was so appreciative. Again, we went to lunch <laughs> and we got to know each other. And needless to say, in the end, several years later, he wrote us a $50,000 check. And I didn't even ask for it. He did it. Which brings up the third thing that I always try and help people understand is 
people have to trust you. And the way they trust you is by the relationship they develop with you. And so those are the things that I teach and then coach and help people learn how to do. And here's the fun part. When people are so satisfied with your work and what you do or your product, they literally demand that their friends use you for business. Here's a good example. My car mechanic is so good. I've had him for 40 years. And when people ask me, you know a good mechanic? I tell them his name, his number, and what he's done for me. Next time I talk to him, did you get an appointment? Well, I haven't had time. Look, man, you need to call this guy. And, <laughs> and then next thing you know, I'm on him again. Finally, they go, okay, I'll call your friend. And then next thing I know, they're thanking me for that. And you know what? He doesn't advertise. Right. Well, a good business, you know, referral is not just about having a business that's going to solve someone's problem. It's about someone who's going to exceed their expectations and then also make you look good. Right. Right. Somebody wants to look good. Nobody wants to like give a referral to somebody and have the company suck. Right. Because then you just look like you look like you didn't know what you're talking about. Right. Exactly. Or it could be embarrassing. And you build a reputation because you build a relationship. Right. And you can build a relationship being a connector of people, right? Right. So you can be like, oh, well, I'm going to contact Fred because I know Fred knows somebody who's going to do this thing. Or Fred knows a gal that's going to be able to get this done. Happens all the time. That's right. I know like kind of locally for my side of town that that stuff happens all the time too, right? Because we're Mm -hmm. pretty connected in with the chamber and other groups and stuff. And you know what? You hit on something earlier and I wanted to mention it. Talking about just trying to sell one more copier to make your quota or something, right? You go in guns blazing, right? Trying to sell, sell, sell. And everybody makes this same mistake on social media. And what they don't understand is, well, there's two things, but one of them is that it's social media, right? I mean, so you, you need to be social first before there's any kind of, you need to build a relationship with it. But the second thing is that the actual algorithm that decides what people see is on the end of the person reading it, not on the person writing it. So you need to be making a relationship and talking about what those people want to talk about, right? Not what you want to talk about. And that's what gets you the exposure. That's what makes your stuff get seen. That's what has people comment and engage with it and and build a relationship with you and see your name. And all of those things happen because exactly what you're saying, right, is building the relationship based on signals of what those people want to talk about. I often call that earning the right to be heard. Yeah, absolutely. So we talked before this, you have a transformational connections blueprint. I wrote it down so I wouldn't forget the whole, (laughs) because it's kind of a mouthful, right? You were talking about that. Why don't you tell my listeners about that? Because it's really. It's a seven step process that I take everyone through that comes through our program. The blueprint is designed to help them become a connector. And the first step in that is we do a personal inventory. I do several things. I've been uh, certified for everything from doing some Myers-Briggs stuff, some strength finders, and a number of things. But that personal inventory is people find out who they are. For example, when I was born back in 1956, technology wasn't all that great, but I was given up immediately for adoption. And so that happened. But on top of that, I was a very sick baby. So I spent three and a half, almost four months in the hospital, and I just basically laid there because they didn't have the technology. 
and they were hoping, they were waiting to see if I was going to make it or not make it. That may not seem like much to some people, but it formed something in me that I constantly struggle with. And that is when babies are born, one of the first things they realize today is they need touch. That's why a lot of elderly people go in and rock babies and spend time with them or they get them to the mom right away. I didn't have that. So I always had a hard time letting people get close to me. And it wasn't until I was about 24 when I had a boss who had a master's in counseling who recognized what was going on with me and said, we're going to fix this. And he worked with me for a year or so. And it revolutionized my relationships because I was able to open up and be closer with people. But it was also one other issue in my life. And that was when I was three, I had a fever of 109. And instead of dying, I lost half my hearing because it affected the nerves in my ears. And so growing up, hearing aids weren't that big of a deal yet like they are today. And so, matter of fact, they look like these big radar that you put on your ears with antennas and whatnot. And so I got made fun of them a lot in school. And being in a group discussion, I couldn't understand what was being said because it was happening too fast and I wasn't hearing everything. So I learned to dominate the conversation. So if you put together a person who dominates the conversation, that way I don't miss any words said. And two, I don't let you get close to me. I'm going to be one of the best relationships you ever have for a friend. Not really. And so when all of that changed in my life and I understood what I was doing, I was able to deal with that and start connecting. So that personal inventory is very important. Then we go on to your story, because often within the story of your life, you learn, not only do you learn how you're wired, you learn why you do the things you do. And then from there, we who are the people around you that you influence? We work with them a little bit to find out how you really do come across to your friends. Finally, we define where you really are at. And once we can brutally be honest and say, this is where you're at, Okay, how do we change that? So we go through another process where we end the old way of doing, enter into a neutral zone where all the change is going to take place to get to the new beginning. And it's that neutral zone where all the tough stuff happens because often people, they break away from a bad habit and then they struggle. For example, if you struggle with sweets like I do, You want something sweet. And what you have to do is distance yourself from all sweet stuff. Because the first time you see one early on, what are you going to do? You're going to go back and get some more. But when you distance yourself and you start building up resistance to your urges for it, then you can move forward. And then one day you can be where you want to be on the other side of the line. So we do that. Hey, Fred, you know, it's something interesting about the sugar thing. My wife went and took schooling for nutritional coaching. And when she was in in that process, we kind of analyzed all the stuff that we eat. And we decided, well, like we wanted to cut down on the amount of salt and the amount of sugar in the foods that we took. Right. And what happened was it it was interesting because we did them at different times. But but the salt one was the first thing that we did. And so what we did is we actually instead of just like completely cutting out salt, which is virtually impossible. We actually cut it by 
I don't know. I, I If I had to guess a percentage, I would say 90%. So, I mean, we almost cut out salt completely. And we did that for about three weeks. And then we just kind of salt to taste stuff after that, right? But then you go back and you eat like at like a restaurant or you get some food or something, right? And it's just everything is so salty. You don't realize how much over time you had built up kind of a tolerance and then you want more and more and more and more of it. Like we have to buy low sodium everything now, which is great for our health, but it's a little difficult to find stuff sometimes that's low salt. But, it, you know, if you have like, I was at my co-working space the other day. I wanted to pick up something. So I got a V8 juice, like just a regular V8 juice out of the vending machine. Oh, that's very salty. It just tasted like somebody had poured a can of salt in it. Like it was so salty. Uh, yeah. So anyways, I just thought that was an interesting parallel to how we had done our food thing. We kind of, you know, we did the same thing. We went in that neutral zone to try and get away from it all. And then when you go back to it, you're like, oh, my God. And you have no desire to go back to it at a certain point. Right. You're done with it. You just don't want to do it anymore. And, you know, in my case, I got tired of people rejecting me. Then I once I figured out why, but I had to figure out how to stop doing those bad habits that I had. And once I did, I learned how to listen. I had to go through listening skills with someone to teach me how to listen because I was so trained to talk all the time. And I still battle that because it's a lifelong battle. But at least I'm aware of it. I think it's a lifelong battle for a lot of people. <laughs> Just like sugar will be. Listening is such an important skill in sales and in business. And it's something that doesn't really get taught most of the time. People mention it. They go, oh, well, don't forget to listen to your client. You know, but <laughs> do they really teach you how to listen? I would say most of the time, no. It's really about techniques, sales techniques. That's what a lot of training is. Try this, try that, memorize names, do this, do that. And those are all great things to do. But if you learn how to interact with someone and build a relationship, ask the right kind of questions, listen, interact outside of the scope of what you're trying to sell them. Because most people generally like having conversations with people, but nobody wants to listen to them. And the person who does is gold. I hear this all the time from people who kind of go to, so you and I are both in a, in a networking, like a business networking group, right? Separate, but we're both in BNI, right? And, and some other ones, but, and so you have the one-on-ones or one-to-ones, whatever they call it now. And you go and, and there's a structure behind them, right? Like it's supposed to be like set up. Okay. If you're going to meet for an hour, well, 30 minutes, this person's going to talk about their thing and 30 minutes, you're going to talk about your thing. Usually when I go to these things, what happens is I ask them some questions about their business and we go and we go and just like the CEO of the glass company you were talking to, right? He goes, oh, I took up the whole time talking about your business. I'm fine with that. I fully expect the other person is going to talk for the whole hour. I plan that in advance. And then what happens is they go, oh, my God, I had the greatest one to one with Matt. And we just <laughs> talked and talked and talked like there's not even much thought about that. I didn't hardly say anything the whole time. Right. I just listened to them. and Nobody listens to them. No. People want someone to listen to them. Exactly. And then now, you know, all this stuff about them as people and why they started their business and all this kind of stuff. Right. And then you can have another conversation later. Right. And. You don't only have one swing at the ball. That's another thing a lot of people have uh, an issue with, right? Well, everybody's swinging for the fence. They want that home run. But baseball is won by singles, doubles, and triples. It's true. It's a good analogy. 
but building relationships is something that's not taught anymore. And to be honest with you, social media makes it even worse because we can present ourselves as who we want people to perceive us to be online. If we mess up, we can just delete that account and start over with a new name. That's right. And do it over. And that's not helping you. Here's a good example. I am no longer working with the nonprofits I'm working with. But guess what? I still have lunch with a lot of the major donors that I got money from because we've become friends. I had one tell me when I retired, he said, I hope this isn't the end of our relationship. I said, oh, no, we're going to still do stuff. You know, the pandemic has kind of slowed that down at this time, but we still text and talk to each other. And one even called me to tell me he sold his business. He didn't have to tell me that, but he did. Yeah, it's amazing the people that you can meet and have a conversation with. And down the road, maybe it's a few weeks, a few months, a few years, you know, you can you can meet up with somebody again or talk to them again or you remember a story that they told you. You know, it's funny. So you told us a couple stories on the podcast already and stories of the amazing power, right? Right. I was listening to a podcast with Brian Scudamore, I think is how you pronounce his last name, pronounce it. He's the guy who's the, or was the CEO that built up the 1-800-GOT-JUNK company. Oh, yeah. Into like this multi-billion dollar company. I'm using Right. He was at the CEO conference pre-COVID times. And he was like, we were there for like nine hours a day for three days, listening to speakers and all this stuff. He says out of all that time, I remember the one guy in the morning on day two that told me a story. He's like, I remember that story. I don't remember any of the rest of it, <laughs> right? Just the one story. Because it, it connects. It's what makes that connection. I'm a terrible note taker. Matter of fact, I have a an app on my phone that translates what it hears and types it up. That's the only way I can take notes. That's a good way to do it. But when I sit and listen, I listen for the stories and the results or whatever of what the person is talking about. Because without relationship skills, I'm not going to connect with anybody. And my wife, she used to hate it because she says, is there any place in this town we can go where somebody won't know you? Because, <laughs> you know, after 40 years, a lot of people. <laughs> and, and to make things worse, we flew to uh, Hawaii one time, got off the plane. I'm walking around in Maui with my wife and two sons. And out of nowhere... Fred Douglas, what are you doing over here in Hawaii? <laughs> and there was a table full of people that all knew me. And my wife goes, where can we go that somebody does not know you? <laughs> oh, that's funny. It's amazing how many people you can connect with in a short period of time. And, and everybody thinks that they need scale to meet people. They're like, I need to reach thousands of people. When instead, they can be reaching one, two people a week. And then 10 years from now, you know, a thousand people personally, right? I mean, it's, you don't need the scale. And a lot of times the scale that people are asking about or that they're they're looking for is like scale of people who know about them instead of them knowing those people, which is not a relationship. That's just followers or fans, right? You don't have a relationship with whoever the singer that you like or the actor that you like, right? You know about them. But that's not a relationship. And those relationships actually impact how you do business, too. For example, I knew what time of year was the best time of year and what type of dollars to ask certain individuals for donations. Because I knew them well enough to know 
this is the time to go see them. And I even had some of them say to me, they appreciate the fact that I know when to come and when to ask. You know, I did a little bit of segmentation because I knew when I say what I knew, what people like to give to, we may be doing a project over here and they say, oh, go ask so-and-so. He hasn't given in a while. He doesn't like that kind of stuff. He's a brick and mortar guy. So I don't ask him those questions. Well, business is the same way. There are things that your customers, they want to buy and they know when they want to buy them. I told my son, I said, look, if you walk into a guy's office or a lady's office and you want to sell them a copy machine, but all they need is a printer, give them a printer. Because you service them well with what they want. When they need something, they're going to come back to you because of what you did. A longtime friend of mine who passed away years ago wrote a book called Give Them the Pickle, a guy named Bob Farrell, and he talked about customer service. And one of the things about customer service, he had someone in the restaurant once who wanted extra pickles for their hamburger, and the waiter didn't want to give it to him because he was trying to charge him, et cetera, whatever. And Bob said, no, give them the pickle. They'll come back because you served them well. That's right. That's the opposite of the book, The $6,000 Egg, (laughs) where the guy wanted a fried egg on his burger and they wouldn't give it to him. And then he battled with this like restaurant and the owners and everyone for years over this thing. And he determined that the amount of of profit that they had lost was $6,000 from not giving him one egg. You know, so I got a story in my book, Start Saying Yes, and it's similar to that idea. And and my business partner had come to town and we'd take some of our friends and family all out to a local restaurant that's now out of business, by the way. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> I wonder why. <laughs> and we went there and my wife wanted, it was like a chicken Alfredo pasta dish, but she just wanted some vegetables instead of chicken. And they just wouldn't do it. Wouldn't do it. Right. And it was just, and it, it was like almost like an argument. And the server's just like, he's just, just like straight up. She's like, oh, can I just get some vegetables instead? And he's like, no. <laughs> like, just no. And my business partner has this thing and not to paint everyone with the same brush in Oregon where we live, but he says servers in Oregon will always say no. And that's the title of the chapter. Wow. And the funny thing about that is later, like months, this was years ago, right? And months after the book came out, my friend was actually from Maui, flew into town, and me and one of my buddies went, and I gave them each a copy of my book. And I had my daughter with me, and this lady comes up. We were in a Korean restaurant, and she says, do you want rice for your daughter? And I said, sure, and can I get some rice for her before our meal to kind of keep her busy? Because she's like two at the time. And she says, yeah, do you want white or black? And I was like, I don't know, like, can I get both? And she goes, no. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I'm just like, why not? She's like, I don't care if you charge me. Give me two bowls of rice. Like, whatever. Just bring me some rice. But anyway, so she walks away after saying no. My two friends look at me. They're like dumbfounded that this lady just said no and walked away. And I open the chapter to the front page of the book, right? And it says, servers in Oregon always say no is the name of the chapter. It's the first chapter in the book. I just handed them. They didn't take into account that they might have got their training from the soup Nazi, huh? Right. You know, it might have been. I talk about that in the book, too. A lot of times it's trained down from from above. If the boss is always says no, and the manager always says no. So the server is going to say no to the customer. But not to go on and on about that. But I mean, it's just such an interesting thing. What would you say? And I think we've probably already gone over the answer to this, but I had this question prepared for you. So 
What do you think is the most important thing to remember when selling your product? To be real, that people matter. And I always tell people this, you want to be seen, you want to be known, and you want to be understood. Those three things make you real. When I walk out that door, I don't want someone to say, oh, it was some sales guy trying to sell me, what was it? A cop machine? Uh, No, what was it? Well, anyway, I didn't want it. That's not what I want them to say. I want them to be able to say, his name was Fred Douglas. They don't even have to look at my card. He sells da-da-da-da-da. And you know what? He doesn't play games. Because he came in here to see if I needed this, and I said no. And he said, fine. Is there anything that I do need? And he started to learn about my company. So what I understand about him is he is about me, the client, not his self. So to be seen, to be known, to be understood is so important. Perfect. I think that's a great spot to leave it off here, Fred. Thank you so much for coming on the show today and telling your story. Okay. It was great doing that. Also, in uh, make sure you guys check out the show notes, hookseo.com slash podcast, and we'll have a way for you to connect with Fred. Fred, is there a good way or a preferred way that you have for people to get a hold of you? Well, they can always email me, Fred at TransConnect, and that's T-R-A-N-S-C-O-N-N-E-X, like an x-ray, dot net. And what's your website? TransConnect.net. All right, Fred, thanks for being on the show and we'll talk to you again soon. Thank you so much. This has been Digital Marketing Masters with Matt and Carrie Rouse. For notes and a transcript of this episode, go to hookseo.com forward slash podcast. Now stay tuned for a preview of our next episode of Digital Marketing Masters. Join us next week as we dive into more tips and ideas to grow your business. Digital Marketing Masters is brought to you by Hook SEO Digital Marketing. Our show is produced by Matthew Rouse and Scott Burson. Mixed and edited by Silent Outburst Productions. I'm your announcer, Daniel D. Craig. We would love to hear your thoughts. Please leave us an honest review with your podcast provider. Your reviews help us help more business leaders just like you. 